Yeah, not today, right, church? Uh, wow, here we are again, gathering virtually, uh, wherever you are, in your living room, in your car. Man, thanks for being here. Uh, really glad you're here. We're in this series called Be Still, and we're going to talk about hope today and the importance of hope and, and why we have hope and need hope and, and where we should put our hope, all those good things. Uh, before we dig into that, uh, please, at some point this morning, would you click on that virtual communication card and make sure that uh, you fill it out. Just let us know that you're present. If you have a specific prayer need, uh, you can uh, submit that there. You can also give online. Uh, I just encourage you to keep giving, keep being generous, practice generosity. Um, you've been amazing, and I can't tell you enough how much I appreciate all that you've done and the way you've provided for our church, especially during this time. Uh, also, uh, we'll just pick up next week. Keep going with Be Still. I know Mother's Day is next week, and uh, it'll certainly be different. And uh, so we want to talk specifically a little bit to moms next week, and I hope you'll join us back. Today what I want to do is I want to talk about this tension that exists, this real-life tension that exists, and uh, how we manage it. And the tension that I'm talking about is this, how do I find hope? How do I stay hopeful when it seems hopeless? Have you ever been in that kind of situation where you had to stay hopeful in what seemed like a very hopeless situation or a hopeless scenario or hopeless circumstance or, or uncertainty? Have you ever wrestled with this before? Have you ever felt hopeless before? Have you ever been in a situation where you just couldn't see the light at the end of the tunnel? Every one of us will struggle to stay hopeful in hopelessness. And if we've, if we've ever had something that we placed our hope in that came crashing down around us, maybe it was our jobs or our career or our marriage, our wealth, maybe it was our health, our academics, maybe it was our athletics, it could be anything that we put our hope in and all of a sudden it came crashing down around us. If we've ever said to ourselves or we've ever said to someone else, maybe we've just thought it and never even said it out loud, why even try? Why even try? What's the point? What's the use anyway? Then we all know too much what it feels like to be hopeless in a broken world. And so let's define hope. What does hope mean? Well, hope is that general feeling that some desire will be fulfilled. And it builds upon the next one, grounds for feeling hopeful about the future. And then here's the key. Here's the key definition of hope. It's someone or something on which our expectations are centered. And so in other words, hope is the feeling we get when we want something and we desire it so badly and, and that we really believe with every fiber in our being that it will actually happen, that it will actually be fulfilled. Hope is also that person or, or that thing where we center our expectations. And this person or thing in which we center our expectations on is the confidence that we possess to be hopeful about what the future might bring. And, and so hopelessness is the feeling that comes from knowing that a person or a, or a thing in which we place our hope will not or cannot come through. That, that, that's what it means. And sometimes we say, well, that's the reason we just take care of ourselves. Uh, that, that's the reason I don't put any expectations in anybody else anyway. 
well, well, that's just the reason that I'm not going to trust anybody to, to help me see this through. And the problem is from the day we are born, from the day literally we are born, we begin putting our hope in someone. From the day you're born, often it's our parents. And then we grow up and we put it in our education, we put it in our athletics, we put it in our teachers, we put our hope in, in, in our future, we put it in this college scholarship that we might get. And then we put our hope in, in, in the girl that we meet or, or the guy that we meet, or, and we put our hope in, in our marriage, and then we put our hope in our career, our jobs, we put our hope in all of these things, eventually leading to, we put our hope in the stock market, because the stock market's going to see us through and, and meet all our great expectations. And so you can see what happens. From the day we're born, we start putting our hope in something or in someone. And at some point, this thing or this person proves to be unreliable. And so we pull away. We feel hopeless until we put our hope in someone else or something else. And so having this person or thing let us down makes us feel hopeless. It makes us feel helpless. It makes us feel powerless. And it isn't just children who put their hope in something. It's all of us do. And what I've learned is one of the consistent themes in the Bible, one of the consistent themes that you'll read about in the Bible is about putting our hope in God. By putting our hope in him, the only way to maintain hope in a broken world, the only way to maintain hope in this broken world, in these uncertain times, is to put our hope in God. That's it. I love what Psalm 33 verse 22 says. It says this, let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us even as we hope in you. And you hear that again. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. You see, because we like to think we control our own lives, that we are, we are the managers of our destiny, we're hesitant to put our hope in God. Often, if we really sit back and we really evaluate our lives, I'm often hesitant to put all of my hope in in God, right? As a matter of fact, we've been taught millions of times, don't put all your eggs in one basket. And so you can't just totally, completely put all your hope in God, right? And part of the reason, part of the reason I think as humans, particularly American Christians, we struggle to put all of our hope into God is because we really don't believe that our world is as broken as we think it is. We just don't think that. We believe that if we vote for the right politicians, if we do the right exercises, if we take the right drugs, if we have the right kind of surgeries, if we get the right education, if we live in the right places, if we marry the right person, then we're untouchable. And, and certainly, we, we can never be broken. And then we do everything we can. We put all of our energy and all of our effort and all of our resources to make sure things stay the way we want them to stay. The problem is they don't stay that way. Why? Because the world is broken. Things never stay the same because the world's broken. Maybe more broken than we even imagine that it is. And I love the book of Romans, and this is why. Because Paul addresses this issue head on. He, he tackles this issue, issue. Paul wrote to Roman Christians 
And these Roman Christians were under the emperor Nero when he wrote this, who is considered one of history's greatest criminals of all times. His name became synonymous with evil, as historic accounts have accused him of killing his stepbrother, killing his wife, even killing his own mother. He is known for persecuting Christians and instigating what was considered the greatest fire of Rome, the great fire of Rome. In Romans chapter 8, Paul began this major section of scripture in chapter 5. And how did he start chapter 5? With this idea of hope. And then towards the end of chapter 8, where we're going to look today, he also reemphasizes this idea of hope. He wanted to remind his readers about this big idea. How do we stay hopeful? How do we maintain hope in a broken world? And so if you have your Bibles, jump to Romans chapter 8, verse 18. It'll also be on the screens. This is what it says. For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Man, this is a powerful verse. And if you are a Jesus-following, Jesus-disciple, growing believer, a growing Christian, this is a verse that has so much hope for us. Let me read it again. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. In other words, the ultimate glory that Christians will receive is so stupendous and so great that the suffering that anybody might be going through right now is completely insignificant in comparison. As Jesus followers, as his present day disciples, as Christians, we look forward to, we, we eagerly look forward to the resurrection of our bodies and to the new heaven and the new earth that's been promised to us. And so, so what Paul's saying is, listen, any suffering that any of us might go through, any suffering that anybody in Jesus might experience, any uncertainty, any lack of hope, any, any time the world seems to be crashing down around us, can't even compare, can't even compare to what's coming. And so it goes on, verse 19. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. In hope, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. In other words, creation all of a sudden is personified for us. And that's what Paul's doing. And he's saying creation itself eagerly awaits to see who the believers are, who those who will enter into the kingdom of heaven, those who will be in God's family. They can't, creation itself can't wait to see what God has in store. But we have to go all the way back. When Adam sinned, when Adam sinned, the created world became futile. It just did. And can you sense this frustration that Paul's trying to create for us? Can you sense the inability to get what one wants? The frustration and the, and the disappointment that's intertwined into the fabric of the world, it's normal. Because we have to go back to Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. And in Genesis 1 and 2, guess what? There was peace. Everything was created and God himself said it was good. It was perfect. It was right. It was unbroken. It was complete. It was whole. But then all of a sudden in Genesis chapter 3, what happens? 
Sin enters the world. Sin enters the world, and, and Adam and Eve, they eat that fruit, and then all of a sudden, thorns and thistles accompany work and pain and childbirth. All of a sudden, is birth, and, and creation is waiting because it didn't see these things originally. Creation wants to go back to the way things used to be. Have you ever felt like creation before? Have you ever said, I just can't wait to go back to the way things used to be? And creation longs for the day when, when creation will be set free, when it will be transformed and freed from the effects of sin. It will instantly become far more beautiful and far more productive and more complete and easy to live than anybody can actually imagine. And it's important to note that it is really bad for us to attach our hope to anything in the world. Why? Because Paul's saying, listen, nothing in the world is good. It's all broken now. From the minute that sin entered the world, it became broken and incomplete. It is broken. It is decaying. It won't last. It will fall apart around us. And so look what's next. This is why people who are control freaks always get frustrated. Control freaks don't like this because the world won't cooperate with us or you. Things break. People behave badly. We don't follow the rules. Our kids don't care what our plans are for them. Our parents won't fund our bad ideas. And so as control freaks, we just can't handle this. Verse 22 says this. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning. Don't miss this. Whole creation, again personified, has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we groan too, right? We ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. So, so creation groans, we groan, the spirit groans inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. All of a sudden, creation's groaning, humans are groaning, even the spirit groans because we long for the day. We can't wait for the day. We eagerly await for the day when everything that's been started will be completed, fulfilled, finished. And the tension exists between the already and the not yet in Paul's theology. It's familiar to Paul. Remember Philippians chapter 1, verse 6? Philippians chapter 1, that he who began a good work will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus. Man, we studied that for a long time at Mountain View. And what did we learn? That we will wait for the day, our final adoption, our bodies are made new. We will enter that new heaven and that new earth. There's a longing in us for something bigger, for something better, for something brighter, for something far more beautiful, for something beyond what this life can comprehend. And verse 24 says, here it is, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it in patience. And underline that verse. Let me read it again. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen isn't hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. See, our, our hope, your hope, my hope, 
God's hope, this hope that's attached to God and only God is tied to a story that is bigger than just our present life. It's attached to something far bigger than what our minds can comprehend. For those of us who are striving to become more like Jesus, those of us who would call ourselves Jesus followers, those of us who would be disciples of Jesus today, those of us who are striving to become more and more and more like him, defined as Christians, we, we became followers of Jesus in part because we knew that there was a promise and that this promise was about a place and a time and a new body that I would experience and that you would experience that the adoption into God's family would be brought complete and we would be made new, brand new, in a new place where the brokenness is gone. See, there's a future hope for us to lean into. And that hope is real. And that hope is a promise. And so what do we do in the meantime? We don't give up. We wait patiently. And I love this last section of Romans 8. Listen to this. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes, intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And when we know that for those who God loves, who love God, all things work together for the good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And powerful verses here. Because these verses remind me that God is at work now. God is at work now in this life. When we find ourselves frustrated, God understands when we don't even have words to pray, God hears our groans and understands. He hears our cries and understands. He hears our prayers and he understands. And even when our prayers are just groans of frustration or cries of mourning and grunts of agony, God hears. God hears. Verse 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who have been called according to his purpose. You see, God weaves everything together. God brings everything together for good. And it's important to understand that this good that God is talking about, that Paul's talking about, does not mean earthly comfort. This good isn't a promise of comfort. Rather, it's conformity to Jesus Verse 29, more like Jesus, more like Jesus, closer to God, bearing fruit, becoming kingdom heaven makers on earth today. And I hold tightly to the truth that God has always been doing good for his disciples. He started doing good at creation, which was the past, and he continued in conversion, the present, and until the day Jesus returns, the future, God is doing good. And the conclusion of chapter 8 is joyous. It is another revelation that Satan will lose, that he can't win, 
that not today he will never succeed because God is for us. Listen to this, verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? All these frustrating things, all, these, all the brokenness. If God is for us, who can be against us? How? Well, he tells us. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You see, if God didn't hold back his own son, if God didn't hold back his one and only son, should we give up hope that God cares for us, that God loves for us, and that we can actually put our hope completely in him and in him alone? Verse 37, jump down. Now in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Through him who loved us, for I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from what? The love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The love of God. My challenge for all of us today is this. Our hope, all of our hope, Completely, all of our hope can rest in the love of God. It is the only thing that will last. It is the only thing that will fulfill its promises. It is the only thing worth putting our hope in. When we put our hope in anything else, anything else, anyone else on this earth, we have to understand that we're putting it into something that is broken something that is decaying, something that won't last, something that will crumble. And so our challenge today is to become conquerors. Conquerors who put all of our hope in the love of God. Why? Because Psalm 33, verse 22, that we started with says this, Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. Man, let's put our hope in him. Let's put our hope in the love that he has for us. Everything else, everything else will fail because it is broken. Everything else will fail, but God's love is not broken. God's love is, is complete. It's whole. And Christians, we are more than conquerors because God turns everything, even suffering. God turns everything, even suffering, even uncertainty, even death. God can turn it into good. All of us have been, don't miss this, we have been invited to place our hope in God's love for us. And, and maybe you're listening to this right now and, and you don't even understand what I'm talking about because you can't. Because you've not taken those steps toward God. You've not experienced his love. So to put your hope in his love doesn't make any sense at all. And maybe you're listening and maybe you don't even know for sure if you have that promise of, of eternal life where there is no brokenness, where everything is restored, where everything is complete, even our bodies. And if you don't know, I want to invite you to email us and let us begin a conversation about what it looks like to put all of your hope, all of your hope in his love for you. And I can talk about his love for us all day long all day long because I've experienced his love. In my own life, I say this a lot, 
this shouldn't be my story. I shouldn't be sitting here right now talking with you on a camera. Leading a church. Living in Oregon. But when I met Jesus, my whole life got turned around. No regrets. It's so much better. And I put my hope in his love for me. I can sustain. I can survive. I can go through whatever the world might throw my way. Because I can wait patiently for that day. When he calls me home or he returns, whichever comes first. Knowing that I will have a new body a new home, and a new mind, and all this brokenness will be fixed. See, God God is love. God is love. Not landed, not, not demonstrated by the fact that I landed a new job or that I got the scholarship or that I married the right person or I married into money or I earned the better position or I earned the better pay. Those aren't the things that God promises us. That's not how he demonstrates his love. The way God demonstrated his love for us is that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to die on the cross for the sins of the world so that I might be adopted as one of his sons. Jesus, the firstborn of many brothers and many sisters, that I would be adopted into the family of God and my father would be whole and complete and trustworthy. That's how God demonstrates his love for us so that I might have a spot in his family. And so until the day that Jesus calls me home or I return, what do I do? How do I maintain this hope in this broken world? Here are a couple of ideas. No matter what, no matter what, no matter what our circumstances are, no matter what suffering we might be in the middle of, no matter the uncertain times that we live, we can live out Jesus' kingdom values in our broken world. We can live his values out. Paul did. Uh, Many others did too. Many great people have lived out Jesus' kingdom values in times of uncertainty. They, They loved even though it didn't seem to make a huge difference in the time. And they put others first even though they were put last. They served and they gave out of what they had. Not expecting anything in return. Do we plan? Yes. Do we dream? Yes. Do we pursue progress? Yes. Do we build? Yes. Do we hope for a brighter future? Yes. Do we put all of our hope in our plans and in our dreams and in our ambitions? No. No. Because all of these things to a broken world are temporary. They're not to last forever. What we do is we hold tightly onto his love, his love. We put our hope in his love because his love is lasting. His love is eternal. And when we loosen our grips around our plans and our treasures and our progress and our ambitions, our rights, And all of a sudden, our rights and our ambitions and our progress and our treasure and our plans, they loosen the grip around our heart so that the grip of God's love can tighten. 
It is what or whom we hope. It is what or who we hope in that determines our ability to maintain hope in a broken world. I hope you know we live in a broken world. And I hope you know, I hope you know that when we put our hope in anything of this world, it'll fall. It'll crash. It'll break. The love of God and we can put our hope in his love. His love is demonstrated greatly. And his love is eternal. His love is unbreaking. So what I want you to do right now, right where you're at, is we want to practice being, being still. Psalm 4610, be still and know that I am God. And so wherever you are, would you just be still and ask yourself this question. Where am I putting my hope? Who am I putting my hope in that is of this world? Ask yourself this question. Why am I not putting all of my hope, the complete fullness of my hope, in the love of God? And putting our hope anywhere else will break our hearts. Will create stress and anxiety and uncertainty. So where is your hope? We're, we're going to sing a song, and the song's called Be Still. And let me just read some of the lyrics here. Be still and know that the Lord is in control. Be still, my soul. Stand and watch as giants fall. I won't be afraid because you are here. You silence all of my fear. I won't be afraid. You don't let go. Be still, my heart, and know I won't be afraid. Be still and trust what the Lord has said is done. Find rest, don't strive. Watch as faith and grace align. Surely love and mercy, your peace and kindness will follow me. Your love surrounds me. Your love surrounds me. Your love is here and it surrounds me. And so be still right now. And as we sing this song together, Will you align your hope in the love of God?